Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Welcome to the Mastery and Fulfillment Podcast Relationship Series. My name is Scott Berry, and today we have a very distinguished guest with us today, Dr. Gary Lewandowski. Gary's an award-winning researcher, teacher, writer, and of course, a relationship expert. He's the author of Stronger Than You Think, The 10 Blind Spots That Undermine Your Relationship and How to See Past Them. He also has a fantastic TED Talk that's been viewed over 2 million times. You'll definitely have to check that out. We'll put links in the descriptions. And he's also been published in numerous magazines, websites, way too many to mention here. Gary, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. So great to have you here. Before we jump and dive into it, I'd love for you to give us a little bit about your background and your field of study in relationships, specifically if you have any area of your relationships that really excite you the most and, and what areas this kind of call to you? Yeah. So, you know, I uh, I got into relationships kind of by accident in, in a lot of ways. You know, I went to undergrad as a psychology major and like a lot of psych majors thought, you know, I want to help people. I want to be a therapist. And then after having an internship in a, in a therapy setting, though it was enjoyable in some ways, I, I just kind of realized that over the course of my life that that wasn't going to be the, the right path for me. And so just by this kind of like idiosyncratic conversation with my academic advisor my senior year, I s- said, you know, I don't really know what to do with myself now. And she said, well, what do you like? And, you know, I was a guy in college and I just kind of jokingly said, well, I like relationships, yeah. but you can't really study that. And she said... No, no, you, you absolutely can study that. People, people study that. Like that's, that's a thing. I'm like, really? And so like, that's just, you know, I, I really just kind of backed my way into, into studying relationships. And so, you know, I, I applied to a bunch of grad schools. I ended up studying uh, with Art Aaron, who's, who's one of the foremost relationship scientists in the world. And, you know, it just kind of, it kind of went from there. Um, yeah. And so, you know, of all the areas of relationships, you know, it, it's their relationships touch on so many different things. There, there's so much about it that I like. Um, but the, the common thread that runs through much of my research and really a lot of my thinking about relationships uh, it is more of a positive spin on relationships. And it's this idea of self-expansion that relationships are one of the primary avenues that we use to grow as people. And that, you know, our relationship partners help us develop expand our sense of self and that, you know, when relationships provide that for us, we're really quite happy. And when our relationships don't, um, there's a lot of problems that, that can result. Yeah. Beautifully said. We, we talk a lot about on this podcast, almost expanding on what you were saying that your relationships and the close relationships that are within your life, um, have some of the greatest impact to your happiness and fulfillment. And your intimate relationship, your marriage, your you know your partner, probably has the biggest, especially now with you know these last few years, we're putting more and more time and energy into our immediate uh, intimate relationship and a little bit less with the with the community at large. So I know that plays a, a really big part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that the research shows is that you know as kids, obviously our primary relationship is with our parent. Um, but then, you know, research done about 20, 30 years ago shows that essentially your romantic partner takes over that role, right? And so whereas your your parent was your primary secure base caregiver, the person you went to when things weren't going well, um, it, it's, it translates over now to your romantic partner. And so, you know, our romantic, we really can't overemphasize how important our romantic relationships are to us. Um, and it, it's definitely something that I think wisely has shifted over the last couple of decades that people are really focusing more on the importance of relationships and, and really expecting a little bit more on their relationship, which, which is overall a good thing. So here's a two-part question, and they're, they're, they're kind of related. We talk a lot about how there's basically three pillars in a relationship, uh, at least a heterosexual relationship. You have him, you have her, and then you have this entity that you guys have created together uh, called your relationship or your marriage. One of the questions is, when do we lean 
a little bit more into the relationship? And then maybe when do we lean out of the relationship? Meaning when do are we asking more from our partner? And then when can we ask a little bit less? And then on a closely uh, related question to that is in this realm, you talk a lot about selfishness and um, how we can be more selfish and then how to go about doing that. Because I know that's a that can be a really tricky proposition is to ask more if you haven't been used to it, especially in the domain of, you know, we're, we've typically put, you know, we have most of our energy in this relationship and sometimes we don't know how to ask for more and sometimes we don't know how to just honor ourselves and just attend to ourselves. Yeah. I mean, so there's a lot there, right? And so when you're asking about, you know, when's a good time for us to lean into our relationship or, or ask more of our relationship, you know, so much of what we think we know about relationships is wrong. And that, that's a lot of what I touch on in my book about, you know, just the myths or the blind spots that we have. Um, and a lot of times people think, you know, I really need to rely on my relationship when things in my life aren't going well. And, and while that's true, the time to really lean into your relationship, the, the time to really ask more of your relationship is when things are going well. Mm. Um, we, we, we call this capitalization. And the reason why it's so important to lean into your relationship when things are going well is because frankly, you know, things are going well more often than they're going poorly. And right. so when you lean into your relationship and things are going well, you help build up what we call a relationship bank account. Ooh. And so you're basically just kind of socking away all these good experiences and memories and, and you're building some skills with your partner and, and just really solidifying that connection so that later when things do go poorly, you have that, that kind of stuff to fall back on. Because, you know, as we all know, things always go poorly at some point. Um, and that's actually, you know, where we should lean into our relationship um, a little bit less and rely on a relationship a little bit less in terms of our expectations. Well, you know, I, I said we should expect a lot from our relationship and we've been better about that actually over the decades. Um, we have to make sure we don't take it too far. Um, you know, a colleague of mine wrote a, a really fantastic book about this, The All or Nothing Marriage. And it's mm, basically Eli Finkel. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he's fantastic. And, you know, it, it makes a really good point about you know, if we expect too much, it, it, it's putting too much of a burden on our partner. You know, when we have high expectations and our partner meets them, you know, we do fantastic. And, and, and that's certainly true. But if you're expecting too much, you can be disappointed with any partner, right? If your expectations are just out, out otherworldly, yes. you're, no one's going to live up to those things. Um, and so it's something I, I, I call in my book, the myth of maximization. Maximizers are, are folks who just always want the best of everything. And that seems like a really good idea where it's like, you know, I only want to have the best car, the best white, I want the best iPhone, you know, so I want to have the absolute best relationship. The problem is it, it, it's hard to find that and make sure that you're always having the best. And this maximizing attitude really creates this mentality of, you know, constantly trading things in for something slightly better. Um, you know, if your iPhone 11 is not cutting it, you know, the iPhone, iPhone 13 is right, coming right down the pike, right? And so, yeah. You know, Would that also mean that you're almost always looking over your shoulder or always kind of looking in the horizon for that next shiny object, which could maximize your happiness for fulfillment even more? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, think about it, that's completely contrary to how most of us want to think about relationships. We, we want to think about till death do us part, not, in, not in, you know, until something slightly better comes along. Um, and, and that's, you know, you're really setting yourself up for, you know, misery and, and just being unfulfilled forever if you're constantly looking for something just slightly better. Um, and, and so, you know, that's where you have to just kind of calibrate yourself in terms of your expectations to make sure you're not overdoing it. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote of the definition of unhappiness is when your reality doesn't meet your expectations. And it almost sounds like a someone who's always looking to maximize has these incredibly high expectations, but they almost can never always be met <laughs> in that yeah. regard. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and it's, you know, and we've seen it in a lot of some of the relationship research where there was this study done at the university of Michigan and they just stopped couples that were pedestrians walking down the street and they asked people just about their views on relationships. And for the folks that thought there was such a thing as a perfect union, a, you know, that perfect couple, that perfect relationship, they actually reported lower relationship satisfaction than the people that were less likely to say that, you know, there was perfection was possible in relationships. And so, 
you know, we have to realize even the very best relationships out there are imperfect and, and that's okay. You know, it's, yeah. it's it, they're always a work in progress and, you know, it's more, the, the key to success is not that it is perfect, but that you're willing to work towards possible perfection. Right. And then what about your thoughts on being selfishness and the whole context around being selfish uh, and, and sometimes the blocks of sometimes people not being able to be selfish? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, I mean, we, we talked to just a moment ago about how important relationships are to your yeah. everyday experience in every possible way. But you know what beats that? You as, you as a person, your sense of self touches everything. Um, and so when we, we kind of take this overly romantic view of relationships sometimes, particularly in America, where we think we have to give everything to our partner and sacrifice and just mm. kind of lay down and be that almost a doormat in a lot of ways. But we romanticize it to think it's like this great thing. It's, it's almost like this giving tree mentality where, you know, we almost encourage our partner to take, 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 and we willingly give, give, give. Um, and that sounds great, except for it's just, it's frankly unsustainable. Um, it's not something we can keep up over a long period of time. Um, and so sacrifice, sure, is is a big part of relationships, and sometimes it's necessary, but we, we just tend to overdo it. Um, and, you know, when I was digging into the research for this book, um, it was actually one of the most surprising findings that I came across is that, you know, here's here's the part that sounds great, right? So people who make more sacrifice in their relationships, they're more committed. Right. And so that means they have a stronger bond between them. But what those sacrifices don't help is it doesn't help people feel any happier or any closer. So really what it's saying is like these, when you sacrifice, you're, you're strengthening the longevity of your relationship, but it's not necessarily enhancing your quality. So here's the other catch, right? Those sacrifices helped on days when people weren't stressed and weren't experiencing a bunch of hassles. I don't know about you, but I I haven't experienced many of those days myself, right? I mean, you're constantly being pulled in 10 different directions and life gets in the way. And so, you know, to expect a stress-free, hassle-free day to to have that be the opportunity to make sacrifices matter just is is a tough ask, right? And so the other reason why these sacrifices really aren't helping is that the partner who's benefiting from the sacrifice, right? So you're making all these sacrifices for your partner. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. They don't notice it. Right? They miss one out of every two. They miss 50% of the things that you're doing for them. Why right? is that? Because a lot of times, it's a great question, right? And so the, a lot of times they don't see all of the things you're holding back. The times you could have said something or mm. could have made a comment that you didn't, mm. right? And some of it is just maybe they, they're taking some of it for granted too. And they just expect that it's, it's like a natural thing and don't realize that you're sacrificing to do that they're, you know so you go out for a date night on, on a thursday night and they just see like oh we're going on a date night that's a good thing but maybe they don't realize that you really needed to do something for work that night that you're side you know you're, you're, you're sidebarring that just so you can go out on a date and so you recognize the sacrifice you're making but your partner maybe doesn't have any idea um and so the problem you have here is that you have when you're focused too much on those sacrifices you have this partner who's engaging in this tremendous amount of generosity but then it's combined with their partner's apathy or just lack of acknowledgement. And you're creating this real recipe for resentment. And so this thing that you think you're doing that you believe in your core of core is going to be so incredibly helpful for your relationship, all this sacrifice, your partner not only doesn't notice, but now because they're not noticing, you're mad about it and it's counterproductive in the long run. Well, that's so powerful. And do you think, or has your research showed that because this is our, you know, our spouse, that sometimes we don't, maybe our antennas aren't up to maybe see some of the sacrifices because maybe we take some of these things uh, for granted because it is our partner. Maybe this is something we would see in, you know, maybe uh, a good friend or, you know, one of our parents or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think that's absolutely true, right? It's if someone's less close to you, it's it's a little bit easier to notice some of the things that they're doing because it's a little bit more rare, first of all. And then the second part is you don't have the same level of expectations towards them. And so, you know, in a relationship, you've been around them for a long time. And so some there might be things that they've been making sacrifices about for years that you just never noticed. Right. Um, you know, it also kind of goes back to we're not great at noticing a lot of things about other people all the time and really taking that perspective. We're really good at 
you know, paying attention to our own problems and hassles and obligations and the things we're letting go of and, and, and not doing, but really kind of stepping out of our own shoes and putting ourselves, you know, into our partners is, is not something we do nearly enough. You talk a lot about putting some energy into uh, the relationship, into um, the growth of it. You mentioned Eli Finko, who we we quote a lot <laughs> on this program. Uh, he talks a lot about Ma- Mount Maslow and mm-hmm. um, and really kind of climbing that mountain to self actualization. You know, for a lot of these people that have these higher expectations but aren't willing to put in the work and the sacrifice and the energy mm-hmm. and the effort, um, they're actually less happy, even though they're putting more energy into the relationship. But the ones who can actually climb that mountain and put that energy in really see really great results and fulfillment and happiness in their in their relationship. So th- the question that I have for you is, one of the questions that I get all the time is, what happens when I have a good relationship with my partner? I love my partner a lot. I want so much more. I'm willing to climb Mount Maslow. I'm really willing to put in the energy and the work, uh, but my partner's not, or they're willing to maybe put in a fraction of, of, of what I'm willing to put in. And I'm trying not to have resentment and I'm willing to go this extra mile, but I don't know how to bring them along or coax them along or influence them to help me? What would you say to someone in that position? The, the, the first step, I think, is, you know, absolutely, you need to have those conversations. And th- those can be tough conversations. And so we tend to avoid the most obvious and best thing, which is to talk about it. Um, and so, you know, I imagine people don't talk about it because they imagine that conversation not going well. And, you know, I wish I could sort of optimistically say, no, no, it'll be okay. But, you know, if this has been going on for a while in the way that you describe, um, it's going to, it's frankly just going to be tough to make that change. Uh, you know, our job as a partner is tough because, you know, we have a hard enough time changing our own behaviors. Mm. And so as much as you might be completely right in your desire to have your partner work harder for the relationship, if they have routinely not been interested or willing to put in that work, it's going to be really hard to flip a switch and and have them make that change. And for you to expect them to change is a big ask. Um, And it it tends to be something that's unrealistic, um, sadly, because, you know, personality, I mean, that's, it's, it's largely a personality feature of, you know, how much you're willing to put in the work for things. Um, And so personality is tough to change. Um, And you wouldn't necessarily, you know, if your partner wanted to change something like that about you, you could kind of, again, that perspective taking, you kind of see how that would be tough for you to make such a big change as well. Or even here, right? I would imagine one of the, one of the, the people receiving that information might even think, well, am, am I not good enough? You know, what's wrong with me? How come you can't love me for me? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and that's actually a, a really big part of it too, is that, you know, when you're asking your partner to change, it's conditional love, which is the exact mm. opposite of what you need to be doing, which is giving unconditional love, particularly for your, for your partner. Right. I mean, you should have unconditional positive regard for your partner. Right. I mean, they should, they should, you know, benefit of the doubt as much as, as much as humanly possible. And so, you know, for them, your partner, the, the num- your number one person to sort of love you with conditions is, is really tough. Um, the other thing that makes it really tough, frankly, is that, you know, when our partner tries to change us, they're not very good at it. And so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, their implementation strategies are just garbage. And so, right. you know, what, what they're trying to do is, you know, make these changes by, you know, being frustrated, some well-placed sighs, a little bit of anger, you know, and then, you know, if that kind of stuff doesn't work, it, it gets harsher. It becomes, you know, criticisms and in, insults, maybe playful teasing at first, but like with a little bit of an edge, right? And so yeah, those, those threats and bribes and demands and trying to make your partner feel guilty, all that stuff lowers relationship quality. So, you know, again, it's, it's, you think you're trying to do a good thing, um, but, you know, you're ultimately doing more harm than good. It's an it's an interesting balance if you have this desire to have this beautiful, connective, more growth oriented uh, relationship, and there's a true, genuine desire. And if the other person isn't quite on that same page, it 
how do I put this? It almost sounds like in order to, to really have that fulfilled relationship, one person really has to have that kind of like natural desire to be kind of in that same realm as where you are in order to, to kind of be matched, right? Like you guys both have to want to climb Mount Maslow um, per se to do that. And um, yeah, it's a really... Yeah. It's a tricky situation, you know, and then that I guess that also begs the question of how much do you put into that and, and, and how, like, if that is such a strong, deep desire and passion for you to, to really get to that place and your partner's not there, you know, at what point, and I guess this is a really good segue into, even into your TED Talk about when do we start possibly looking at alternatives or ending things or, I mean, who knows, like opening up the the relationship, you know, looking at, um, I guess, alternative structures, but when do you possibly look at ending the relationship? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you talk about one of the million dollar questions in relationships, you know, knowing when is the time to end, it might be the one, right? It's like, you know, yeah. we're constantly on being pulled in two different directions. One is we don't want to settle and end up with somebody who's not nearly up to our standards, right? But on the other hand, we're pulled in the direction of like, we don't want to be alone. And so you don't like, when do you make the move? When do you not make the move? And you know, when to stay, when to go is, is, is like I said, it's, it's a million dollar question. And, and it's really, you know, every relationship has some level of doubt in it. And that's where that doubt comes from is, you know, when is it, when is it, when is enough enough, right? Um, and, and just to kind of circle back to, to a couple of things that you mentioned earlier, um, you know, talking about like, what's the best situation and, you know, kind of what does one partner want and the other partner want? We, we do know from research that when you have pairs of partners who are both similarly, similarly minded in terms of desire for growth. So, right. You have two people who both want to grow, or you have two people who just kind of want to stay the same. Those relationships are okay. Right. As long as we're kind of both on the same page, we're both in this relationship with the same kinds of motivations, um, you know, we're, we're very much aligned. It's when you have those mismatches, that's tough, right? And so, you know, the, the picture that you're kind of painting here is, you know, one part person wants to put in some work and grow and the other person's kind of like, yeah, I'm not so sure. Um, you know, thinking about it that way and trying to like get your partner on your side, you, you want to try to avoid that as much as possible. You don't want to, you don't want to set up these dynamics in relationships where it's me against you. As much as you possibly can, you want to try to reframe this whole entire issue around us versus the problem, mm. right? And so, you know, it's not you want you don't want to work and I do want to work. It's no, no, no. You know what we both want? We both want to have a better relationship. And then you ask your partner, what does that mean to you? Like, what does a better relationship, a stronger relationship between us mean to you? And then this is what it means to me. And how can we blend both of those visions into a, a, a kind of a shared relationship mission statement and, and both kind of, you know, forge out ahead in the same direction where we're, we're both, you know, wanting the same kinds of things. And that way, you know, us against the world is a really powerful way to approach things. It almost sounds like you always have a, a partner in that respect. And yeah, versus, I, you know, you want to be out, you want to be allies. You don't want to be adversaries. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said about how, Either we're both going to be growth oriented, or if we are up for just, hey, we want a more relaxed way of life, mm -hmm. then that works as well. Like, you know, to have this beautiful, connective, and satisfying relationship, you don't always have to, you know, <laughs> constantly be putting tons of energy. And that works for some people. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, don't, you don't have to be a relationship overachiever in, right? in, in every part of your relationship. And, and this is actually something that, you know, Eli talks about in his book is like, in, in some ways, like diversify your portfolio a little bit. Yeah. Like if you have all this energy yeah. to grow and work really hard at things, maybe your relationship isn't the workshop for that, right? Like maybe you divert those energies into a hobby of your own or, you know, your career. Um, and what we do know from other research is that if you go and let, let's say, let's say you just pick a hobby or, or your career, right? And you devote a lot of time to that. And that leads to that sense of growth and self-expansion, when you grow and expand on your own, as long as your partner is supportive of those activities, it actually benefits your relationship too. Hmm. So you can almost like backdoor help your relationship by actually being a little bit selfish and focusing on yourself. And that way you get to use all those energies and your partner can just, you know, cruise on autopilot how, you know, they seemingly want to. Um, and, and you both win. 
beautifully said. We, we talk about that all the time, and uh, Esther Perel talks about this quite a bit. You know, where to ask more outside of the relationship. You know, it's interesting because my, you know, me and my wife, we are definitely more on the <laughs> the side of constant growth and going to workshops, and it's just mm-hmm. something that we love to do together. And then I look at uh, her parents, and they have just kind of a more chilled way of life. There are these uh, snowbirds that uh, retired in Florida and they just, they love to just take walks and bask in the sun and, and uh, they have a fantastic relationship, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> and they look mm-hmm. at us like, you know, what are you crazy? Why are you, you know, you don't ever seem satisfied or you're always doing this or that. But, um, <laughs> you know, it just goes to show you that, you know, it, I think as long as you're on the same page and you guys are both allies in that area, you know, you can have a fantastic relationship. And I really love how you phrase that. Yeah, and, you know it's really interesting about it, you put that as a as a fellow grower myself. You know, yeah. like do you ever find yourself like looking at people with that kind of like chill type B kind of mentality and just be, like being slightly envious of that? Like, because I I always find it just mesmerizing that like people can be so happy and content all the time without constantly striving and improving and, and, and doing all that stuff. It just seems like such a different existence and, and peaceful in a way. I can, but I keep coming back to that and I see it and I see that they're, they are genuinely happy and fulfilled. Like you could just tell, like they're just very content. You know, I see that, but then I also think at least in my own domain and my own world and my own relationship, if I even have that inkling for growth in, in certain areas of my life, may it be my, my work or or my relationship, it would be hard for me to shift that and to just say, wow, I see all these people who are very content about just relaxing and chilling. And, and you know, the whole adage of when you get married, you settle down, quote unquote, you know, right, right. Um, I see it. I, I don't see it could ever work for me if I had that kind of initial drive for growth, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, because I, I think it's hard to turn off, right? right? And I think, you know, most of the time, we have that desire and I don't know, like I, to me, and, and, and I say, and I say this with kind of trepidation because I study this so much and, and I live it so much. So maybe I've lost perspective, but I, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like our default is growth because, you know, we, from the time, you know, we grow over our lifetime and I mean, that's, that's human development. Right. And so growth is just a part of life. And so the folks that are a little bit less tuned towards growth, just always seems like an alternate path versus the the regular path, I guess. It's my personal thought that there is always growth in the relationship and in our lives, right? Um, you know, you're the growing, you're dying. There's very, if non-existent, stagnation. But it's just, I I think the the rate of growth in which you want to pursue. Basically, mine just happens to be cranked up a little bit more, at least, <laughs> at least right. in certain areas. There are times when I look back and I'm like, oh, it would just be nice, you know, because I've talked about this with my wife because I'm, you know, we're talking about creating this project and doing this workshop. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then, you know, on the, on the flip coin, sometimes we're at dinner and we're thinking, God, it would just be nice just to move to Bali for a couple months and just relax, right. <laughs> you know, and then right. maybe do something very simple. And that's so the, the thought has definitely crossed our mind. Because <laughs> it's tough, right? Because I mean, for the strivers and growers, there's always another hill to climb, right? I mean, there's always like another project and, you know, and that's, it's, it's invigorating and, you know, it, it's fulfilling, but it, it's also, you know, it's just, it's a different level of energy that, uh, you know, other people just aren't, aren't putting forth. Absolutely. So I want to circle back around to in this podcast, especially in the relationship series, we talk a lot about maximizing the relationship in all, all three of those pillars, right? Yourself, Mm -hmm. her, Mm -hmm. and then the, the unity, the marriage, the partnership. Uh, We don't talk a lot about breakups and we don't talk a lot about ending things. And, you know, I, I think that is one of the big million dollar questions is, you know, when, <laughs> when, when do you end it? You know, and, and that's a really tough situation, especially with multiple factors and kids and how long you've, you've been together. Can you give us a little bit about some of your research with breakups and, you know, the benefits or maybe insights or maybe something that people don't know? Cause it is something that we don't really um, talk about here on the podcast. Sure. Yeah, and this this is easily a topic I could I could talk about for hours and hours. And so I'll just try to give you like the little thumbnail version. Um, you know, I, I think 
you know, what's the thing about breakup? Actually, one of my favorite findings about breakup that I think is really important, especially when considering, you know, this idea of like when to end it is people are really bad at predicting how they're going to feel in the future. Um, and so what researchers actually did in the realm of relationships is they took a bunch of people who were happily in their relationship. And then only as researchers would ask them to predict, like, how bad would you feel if this relationship ended? You know, if you broke up, like how devastated would you be? Um, and remember these people are in their relationship, they're happy. Right. And so they then over time followed these people to see when they broke up. And then once they broke up, they asked them again and said, you know, how devastated are you? How hurt are you? And what they found was people thought they were going to be much more devastated and hurt and experience all these negative emotions um, than they actually did. Mm. So ultimately the breakup wasn't nearly as bad as they thought. Um, and I think that's really important in terms of considering breakup, because when we think experiences are going to be bad, no one runs into bad experiences. You know, we don't uh, go to get our taxes done willingly. We don't go to the dentist willingly. Like when, <laughs> when things are going to be painful, you know, it, it's self-preservation. Like we avoid those things. And so when we kind of make breakup into something worse than it is, that's keeping us in a relationship that we maybe shouldn't be. Mm. Um, related to that, there, there's some newer research on this idea of the fear of being single. And so, you know, again, that's another thing that's going to keep you in a relationship. The problem with both of these ideas of this idea of staying in a relationship is both of these factors are also likely to keep you in a bad relationship, right? It allows you to have a greater tolerance for substandard relationships and bad relationship behaviors. And so if you're too worried about being single, or you're too worried about the pain or the potential loneliness of breaking up, you're going to accept lower quality relationships, that's huge, right? Because as I say to my students, when I give talks all the time, everybody deserves a great relationship because relationships touch so much, so many different parts of our lives. You know, if your relationship isn't great, it's degrading everything. It's degrading your health, your physical health, your mental health, your work performance, everything. And so these kind of, you know, almost straw men kinds of things that, you know, you're worried about all these bad outcomes that are going to happen that actually don't happen or don't happen nearly as bad as you think they're going to, to happen or occur are keeping you in these bad relationships. And so, you know, the research shows when you leave these, those bad controlling or abusive relationships, it increases happiness mm. and it increases happiness more than people thought. Mm. Like we just have this bad mentality about breakup that, you know, it's going to be worse and we're just not going to be as happy as we think we're going to be, even when we, when we know we're leaving something bad. And so people are just tend to mispredict um, how, how those, re those relationship breakups are going to go. Um, you know, I mentioned loneliness. One of the things with loneliness is people always think you have to be alone to be lonely. And yet, you know, there's research that shows married people are, are lonely, right? So you can be lonely within your relationship. And so, you know, one of the big fears we have is like, oh, if, if I get divorced or I end this relationship, I might be lonely. But chances are you're probably already feeling lonely within that relationship. And so if you're lonely within that relationship, right, you're keeping yourself from finding a better relationship where hopefully you won't feel alone because you shouldn't feel alone in your relationship. Um, and, you know, and those kind of situations are especially likely if you have critical and demanding spouses, right? And so, yeah, just, you know, it, it's again, you know, we, we relationships are so important, but we don't think about relationships always in the best ways. And some of the things that we believe about relationships is like, oh, this must be true, um, aren't always true and, and leave us in, in worse situations than, than we can have otherwise. Yeah, the, the loneliness is a very interesting topic, how you can feel lonely in the relationship. And I would imagine that there are people that will probably feel less lonely after a breakup, after they've probably spent years in a relationship just not feeling heard and, and, and just feeling lonely. It's probably one of the reasons why there's uh, infidelity. I, I would imagine it's, it's one of the, I don't know what your research has said on that, but does is there a connection to infidelity and feeling lonely in the relationship? Um, I, 
I haven't done anything specifically on loneliness, but certainly there is a connection if your relationship isn't providing you sufficient levels of growth. Mm. Um, and so, you know, what we've looked at is this idea of self-expansion in relationships. And so, you know, your partner should really help make you a better person. Yeah. They should provide you sufficient opportunities to gain new perspectives and identities and acquire new skills and abilities. Um, and, you know, you should be doing new and interesting things together all the time. And so, your relationship should be one of the primary sources for that. And so what we found in our research is when your relationship isn't doing that, right, it's, it's providing insufficient amounts or opportunities for self-expansion, you're more likely to cheat on your partner. Um, and so not only are you more likely to cheat, it's also related to behaviors that are like gateway behaviors to cheating. And so, you know, some people may not be cheating quite yet in those types of relationships, but other research we've done shows it also increases your attention to alternatives, and so really all that means is you have more of a wandering eye, right? And so when your relationship isn't giving you everything that it should um, in, in the realm of self-expansion, you're not being properly fulfilled in that way, you start paying attention to other potential partners. And we do know that when that starts happening, it, it's like a gateway behavior towards cheating. Um, and in both of those cases, you know, when your relationship isn't providing sufficient levels of self-growth and expansion, you're, you're more likely to break up. We talk about a lot how... How you just mentioned, you know, the relationship is such a it's such a core fundamental piece of our happiness and fulfillment that bleeds into all the other areas and domains of your life, right? Including your career and your 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 friends and and everything else, the relationship with your children. And so we we talk about like just how incredibly important this domain is. And I'm wondering you know, we talked about when and possibly to to end things and possibly look at divorce or, or, or shifting the relationship to another dynamic. Do you ever get any kind of pushback for not maybe always being pro-marriage, even advocating yeah. for the possibility of looking elsewhere in divorce, you know, outside the realm of abuse, you know, hard neglect and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think... You know, again, we have a very romanticized view of relationships, yeah. particularly in America. And, and, you know, we have a romanticized view of marriage in a lot of ways, too, where, you know, we, we think marriage is like this gold standard. And, and, and don't get me wrong. In, in a lot of ways, it is. It, it, it's more of a commitment than, you know, simply cohabitating, for example. So, I mean, it, it definitely has some key differences. But, you know, I, I don't I just don't believe in the sanctity of commitment being more important than the happiness and fulfillment of a relationship. And so, you know, when you're saying, you know, you should, marriage is important and, and yeah, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an anti-marriage, but I'm not as pro-marriage as some, as you said, you know, I'm, I'm actually fairly pro-breakup because, you know, if you're not in a great relationship, you've got to get out of the relationship you're in to help you find that great relationship that you deserve. And so, you know, I, I don't think, I'm just not a big advocate for people just sticking out any relationship because, you know, you want to stay married. Like, you know, give it some time, give it some thought, give it, put in the work. Um, and, and generally people do. I mean, before people get divorced, they, you know, there's research that shows on average that they think about it for about five years. So people aren't casually throwing away marriages. Um, no one, no one would really do that. But, you know, if it's really not working and you tried, you know, so, you know, as I say in my TED talk, you know, great relationships seldom fail, but bad ones do as they should. You know, it's just kind of a natural process. And so, you know, if, if your relationship isn't helping you become a better person, leaving it might and very likely will. And so leave that relationship so you can find that great relationship that you deserve. We talked about earlier about good, strong relationships that have a tendency to last, kind of find each other on the the same page of uh, growth. You know, mm -hmm. you're both more growth minded and um similar aspects in that realm. Do you have any suggestions for someone who's listening that is not in a relationship right now that is single and thinking, look, I'm up for a committed relationship. I don't want to have to get divorced. I don't want to have to find someone where I have to radically change. You know, what are, I guess maybe what are some of the signs or some things to look for that would maybe state, hey, we're probably going to be more compatible for a long-term committed relationship. Yeah. I mean, actually, you know, I, I think one of the best things people can do who are 
not in a relationship and, and looking for relationships or, or you're open to starting a relationship, I, I don't think there's any substitute for knowing yourself Ooh. and taking, taking the time, like that deep self work to, to gain self insight, to really know who you are, know what you want, be comfortable with who you are, good things and bad things. Like, I mean, you got to kind of own some of the things that aren't great because we all have them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we all think we live in this like super egocentric self-centered society, but ironically, we don't know ourselves hardly at all. Right. I mean, there, there's studies that show, you know, we spend only 0.01% of our, of our day thinking about ourselves. And it's like, if you really think about it, when was the last time without any distractions, without any other priorities, you just kind of took some time to really reflect and kind of do like a self-assessment of like, where are you at? What do you want? You know, who are you? Who do you want to be? What are you working on? Like all those types of things. And, and we, we just don't do a lot of that. Um, and so we actually haven't, I actually haven't done research specifically on that in terms of finding a relationship, but I, I have data and I published a paper that shows, you know, people that know themselves have this great sense of self-concept clarity, have better relationships. And the reason why we think that that happens is because when you know yourself that well, you're better able to find somebody who actually is a compatible partner for you. Mm. Right. Mm. And so, you know, if you have no, if you're unsure about who you are, you can start using your partner as a way to define yourself, which is, is kind of a risky proposition, right? Because you don't really know what they want. And, you know, it, it's just kind of a, a moving target. Whereas if you are really solid and have that foundation about knowing who you are, you're going to know what you want and you're going to have a clear sense of, you know, what, what are our deal breakers for you? Like, what are the things that are non-negotiable that you're just not willing to live with? And so your compatibility is, is going to increase. Um, you know, and the other part of your question was kind of like where to look. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, with that foundation of really having that strong sense of self-understanding, rather than starting relationships in the traditional way where it, it's kind of primarily based on physical features, I think you want to try to really cultivate relationships more through um, strong bonds of getting to know each other and, and friendship, right? I mean, ultimately, your, your romantic partner should be your best friend. And so look to start relationships based in friendship first that then kind of gravitate or, or evolve towards more of a physical connection. I love that. The know yourself, when you mentioned that, that just resonated with me so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only for, for people that are single and, you know, uh, for people that are in, in, a, in a marriage or a relationship, just knowing yourself so you can kind of understand what to bring in and, and what to ask for is, is, is so, so critical. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really critical in all facets of life. I mean, if you even think of, you know, when you're, when you're looking for, you know, pursuing a career or knowing which job to take or even where to live, I mean, the better that you know yourself, you're just going to make better decisions. Do you have any tips for advice? Cause I know that there's at least one or two p- people listening right now thinking, wow, that sounds great. I just highlighted it. I took notes. How the heck do I do that? Like, how do I, how do I know myself better? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. A, a while ago, um, a colleague and I published this article. I'm trying to think where it even was, but we actually wrote, put a, put together a set of 36 questions that helped, you know, people kind of go through this self-discovery process, but really it, it's just a lot of, you know, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's, it's meditation, maybe it's, you know, spending some time alone and being self-sufficient. I think, you know, those three types of things would, would do the trick. And, you know, if you're going to do go the journaling route or even just kind of like self-reflective thought is like, ask yourself some, some tough questions of, you know, you know, it's almost like a self-interview. It's like, where do you, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you want to be in five years? If, if someone introduced you to somebody else, what would they say your three best qualities are, your three worst qualities are? And really just try to get down to, you know, what's been working for you, you know, what has been working for you, the relationships that haven't worked, like, you know, just take that role of, of saying like, what was my, you know, we tend to blame our partner when things don't work. Right. Cause that's kind of self-protective, but like really like take a little bit of more ownership over it. It's like, well, I picked them and they weren't great. So why, what led me to pick them? Um, and, and really kind of dive into those types of questions. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that, that people don't do that maybe, 
they'll they'll stop one thing, they'll they'll immediately jump into something else or into a new relationship or into a new job. And I think in today's world, we're just just so bombarded with data and stuff and distractions that exploration and slowing down, and, you know, maybe asking questions is a good way to to kind of get more clarity on uh, you know on knowing yourself a little bit better. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I I think, you know, when the world's offering us so much in the way of quantity in all facets of our life, it's so easy to forget how important quality is. If we are trying to bring in a little bit more of that clarity and create a little bit of a clearer vision for not necessarily ourselves, but for our, our partnership, do you have any feedback in that realm of maybe how how can we make sure that we're we're growing together and, and and building a future that is exciting to both of us? Now, do you feel like that's something that we need to maybe map out and put on a vision board or at least talk about? I feel like so many couples just they end up going down the path of a relationship or marriage. And yes, there is some growth there, but they get to a point where their paths are diverging just a little bit more until they get to a point in the future where they, they're kind of looking at each other and it's like, wow, you're on the other side of that chasm. How did we how did we kind of get so far apart? How can how can couples maybe plan to, you know, take take a more conscious journey together, more intentional journey together? Yeah, I mean, I, I think intentional is really a great word um, because it, it's something. It's so easy to just leave things on autopilot and and just let things coast. That you know, really good relationships, the best relationships, aren't effortless, right? And it's one of the biggest myths out there is that we think the, the people that we see with the great relationships, we think, oh, it's so easy. It's not. They're just they're working behind the scenes in a way that you don't realize. Um, and so that intentionality of that willingness to engage is really important because. You know, you said, how do you end up on, on opposite sides of, of the chasm? Yeah. Well, those chasms don't start as chasm. Like, it starts as a crack, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then like that, you got to start, like, and you're traveling on that path. You know, at some point, there was a little crack between the two of you. And you noticed it. Your partner probably noticed it. But you, you thought, nah, it'll be all right. And then you, you took a couple more, and it just, it widens, it widens. It, and it, it happens so gradually that we don't necessarily notice until it's too late. Um, and so you have to be intentional about noticing those cracks. And now not only you have to notice them, but then you actually have to address them. Yeah. And so we, we tend to not want to have awkward conversations and we don't want to, you know, be a nagging, annoying partner who's always arguing and, and bringing up problems. I mean, that seems counterproductive to the relationship, but, but it's quite the opposite, right? You want to keep small problems small. You can fix cracks. You can't fix chasms, right? And so, (laughs) you know, like you got to keep those small problems small. And the only way to do that is have a willingness to engage. Um, And it's one of those ironic things. I mean, there's things in relationships that people don't want to talk about. And, you know, it's usually, you know, in-laws and past sexual partners. I mean, that's clearly stuff we don't want to talk about. But the number one taboo topic in relationships is the relationship itself. And that is just mind blowing in, in it's, oh, you know, you're completely missing the point in terms of that is the thing you should be talking about like all the time. Huh. Right. And, and, and if like you want to avoid those chasms and keep the cracks small, like maybe you need to have a regular relationship check-in where it's, it's not based on anything anybody did that day. You're not, you know, you can avoid those impulsive, potentially emotionally harmful arguments. And it's more just of like, Hey, you know, we go on a date night and we're out. We're just kind of like, do a, do a little check-in. Like, how are you doing, you know, with this relationship? Like, how are things going? What, what can we do better? Um, and, and just, you know, making that part of your regular relationship routine can, can be quite helpful. I want to touch on that a little bit because it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. The, <laughs> the statement that you made that couples don't like to look at their relationship. Um, mm-hmm. Is that a is that a very pronounced thing? I mean, it, and is it something that is just so uncomfortable that they don't like to look at it? Why is that? I, I you know I, did, I never really thought of that before, but it but it makes sense because I, I think it fundamentally emanates from from this the basic truth that our, our relationships are so important to us and that they're so valuable that we don't want to do 
anything that could possibly threaten the relationship. And so, you know, what's potentially threatening to the relationship are fights or arguments about big things. And so that discussion about, you know, what are we, where is this going? You know, how's this going to turn out? Where do, how, where do you see us in five years? You know, what are things I could do better are all seem like they're going to lead to arguments potentially, and that those arguments could potentially then end the relationship. And so rather than risk it, like we're not casual about our relationship. We're not willing to take risks with our relationship because we care about it so much. So people just kind of decide that the safest thing is to avoid it. Now, the problem is they're wrong, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's not the safest thing, right? You, it's like, you know, when you ignore, you know, that drip on the ceiling, yeah, it's nothing. And then, it, you know, it's two drips and that's nothing. And then eventually it bursts, right? right? And things build up and get to the point where ironically, that thing you were trying to present, prevent by ignoring the small little problems, you're allowing it to build up to something that really can threaten the relationship. Mm, you just went from a crack to a chasm. Yeah, just like that, right? And you know, and you kind of watch the whole thing in slow motion. It's like a slow motion car crash that that you could have done something to prevent, but you had to prevent it way back at the beginning, and you, you just you waited too long. You know, I I like to think of it as you're you're working on your computer. You've got a you got a spreadsheet open, and then you've got a you're surfing the internet, and you're done with the spreadsheet. But instead of closing it out, you hit that little minus sign, and so every time there's a little issue with the relationship, instead of dealing with it, hit that little minus sign, and it doesn't go away. It it just comes out of the the conscious view. And, you know, you do that enough times, all of a sudden you have so many minimized programs and you don't think that Mm -hmm. it's in the relationship, yet it's taking up space, it's taking up memory, it's taking up energy until all of a sudden you're out of memory and then, you know, you explode, (laughs) right? Your system crashes and you have all these little cracks and now you're in a chasm. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like you have so many tabs open because all these things that you're kind of backburnering because you don't want to threaten the relationship. I mean, those things accumulate. Yeah. Right. And so it's little by little and you're not seeing it and you think out of sight, out of mind. And it's so easy to just, you know, sidebar a lot of these issues because there's a thousand other things that are going to compete with our attention. But then, you know, like you said, you have so many tabs open that it slows everything down and eventually the whole system crashes in a way that you can't get back. You know, I think that's a really good tip for our listeners is especially in the beginning of the relationship, if you can cultivate a muscle and a routine and a behavior between both of you to learn to get a little bit uncomfortable and learn to be a master crack patcher, if you will, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and you can almost have that as one of your core values in the relationship. And God, it just it will go so far, especially when you start to get that muscle. So if you're so used to tackling level two and three problems, you know, that, that are size of cracks, that when you have a bigger crack, like a size five problem, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. you know, you have that muscle built up. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, it's in a, a new realm and a much bigger problem. But you have that momentum of being able to fix these other ones. So when, you know, when the big life stuff comes up, and as you, know, you alluded to earlier, relationships are always going to have their issues. They're always going to have their speed bumps. And what I have found the the most connective and uh, the strongest relationships almost anticipate mm-hmm. these to, to come up and know that they've got a partner with them to be able to commandeer any of these navigations, any of these cracks when they do come up. Yeah. And I think if you can get both partners to commit to this mentality of keeping small problems small, Right. And so you're going to have like several little skirmishes throughout the week so that you avoid the major battles and all out wars. Your relationship is going to be stronger for that. The other thing is, but if you really get more accustomed to, you know, sort of diving into those smaller problems, communication is a skill, right? And it's a skill that you can build and you and your partner are going to get better and more adept at navigating these little problems. And so, you know, you're going to start using humor. You're going to just deal with them. You're going to, you know, perhaps problem solve it before it even even needs to be a, an argument or a discussion in the first place. And so, you know, it, it, it's something that you're, you're going to improve on. Um, and it's, it's, I can't underscore how important it is. I mean, and there's research that clearly shows that when people believe that arguing should not be tolerated or, you know, embraced in relationships, they're less satisfied. They're, they have more aggressive communication. Yeah. And then in heterosexual partnerships, the females are more depressed. 
right? Because, you know, they're probably depressed because they want to talk about these things, right? They, they know that there's these problems and they can't do anything about it. And you, so you start falling in this helplessness kind of, kind of experience. And that, that's not how our relationship should be. So, um, you know, kind of as we, we start to, to, to end down the hour, I, I'd love to get your thoughts. And you've, you've alluded to so much of this before, but we talk a lot on this, on this podcast and on the relationship series about having a self-actualized marriage or a self-actualized partnership. This whole idea of creating a container in the relationship where your partner isn't necessarily responsible for helping you achieve your own self-actualization, but it's a mm-hmm. container for you to go outside the relationship, to stay in the relationship, but it's just, it's this beautiful support container to help you fulfill that. And a lot of the work that we talk about stems from uh, Eli Finkel and Esther Perel and, and a few others. And I think that's also why I was so drawn to a lot of your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that context of someone who's looking to have more of a self-actualized marriage, as we kind of end up the program here, is there any any tips or anything else that you may want to bring to the table or suggest to anybody about how to how they could have a self-actualized partnership? Aside from things that we, we've already discussed a bit, I, I think one of the important points to underscore is that part of having a self-actualized relationship is, you know, we're a partnership. And so partners need to support each other. And support is different than actually being the agent of change, mm. right? And so you can look at it and think like, oh, well, you know, we're supposed to be self-actualizing together and I'm there for them. And so let me help them plot their course, and it's and and no, like that's not your job. Your job is to let them plot their course, and then you cheerlead and support, right? And so your job is to basically get out of the way, right? Let them make the call in terms of what they want to what they want to do, and then just be there to support them, right? Help them out if if they they decide you know they have a, a new found fitness goal, you can offer to go on walks with them, go on hikes, or you know join a class together but you're not the one that gets to decide that that's their new goal. Mm. Right. Mm. And so, you know, the other thing I I like to say in talks all the time is that, you know, you have to remember that the work that you put into your relationship makes it worth it. And so too often we think, you know, self-actualization and sort of like this ideal relationship existence is this like easy, carefree kind of thing. And it's like, no, no, if you're going to climb that mountain, like that takes some work. Yeah. Right. And so you, you and your partner have to join forces with what you have in common and, and, you know, put in some relationship work, you know, it's look for those ways to help your partner, um, you know, whether spending time together, being physically intimate, you know, just improving spending habits, communicating with them, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do. Um, and, and the last piece I think, um, you know, in terms of this partnership is it has to be equitable, right? You, you can't, you know, when you're expecting your partner to change, you're taking a position of power and superiority over your partner, which is counterproductive, mm-hmm. right? You and your partner are equals. This is a relationship between two equals who equally respect each other. And so if you start with this presumption that you need to change and I think you need to know how to do it, you're saying, no, no, you don't get control over your life. I get to control you. And even though it's, it's, it's not coming from that necessarily, like that's not really what you're trying to say. That's essentially what your partner's hearing. Right. You're just thinking you're trying to help and, and, and you know, help them take those steps up the mountain. But, you know, it, it, it's really much more nefarious than that in, in a lot of ways, you know, and you got to be mindful of those kinds of power dynamics. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. We like to end all of our shows to get, just a little bit more of a viewpoint into who Gary is. These have mm-hmm. nothing to do with what we are talking about. They're <laughs> rapid fire questions. And All right, we're lightning, around. Around. lightning around. We just want to see, <laughs> are you game for it? Sure, sure. Okay. Preferred first date, Broadway show or hiking in nature? Oh, definitely hiking in nature. Keep me away from Broadway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> Morning or night owl? Night owl, for sure. Coffee or tea drinker? Ironic, I'm drinking tea as we're as we're talking here, but definitely coffee. Okay. 
<laughs> I, I'm a huge tea drinker, but coffee is obviously the predominant. Uh, yeah, I like I, I like them both. You know, I, I actually do like to grind your own beans. Like I'm super into coffee, yeah. but like in the afternoon, like at this time of day, it's like a little bit of tea is is, is just hits the spot. Perfect. Uh, Apple or Android? Apple. Talking or texting? Talking. Still, I'm old school like that. Yeah. Love or hate black licorice? Uh, if I had to pick one, it'd be hate. It's not a strong hate, but it's it's definitely not a love. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cat or dog person? Dog, for sure. Mm. The most important, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. <laughs> I don't think, I, you know, it's so funny because like, I've seen Star Wars. I don't think I've ever seen one Star Trek ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why necessarily. It's just I just it somehow have avoided it, and now I, I've come this far in life having avoided it, and it, it feels like part of who I am. So I, I kind of feel an obligation to keep the streak alive. Most guests have said Star Wars, but the ones that say Star Trek are they like they have it branded on the tattoo on their skin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, yeah, the, yeah. They feel it feels like an all or nothing kind of proposition. That's right. So I, I'll, I'll choose nothing. <laughs> That's right. Well, Gary, thank you so much for bringing your wisdom, bringing your heart to the show. We really appreciate it. Where can our listeners go to learn a little bit more about the work that you're doing and what you're up to? Sure. I mean, the best way for people to find me and sort of all the different things I'm doing is through my website. So www.garylewandowski.com. You know, the kind of the thing that I've done recently that captures pretty much everything I've done in my career is uh, my new book, The Stronger Than You Think, 10 Blind Spots That Undermine Your Relationship and How to See Past Them. Um, but if, if you're looking for you know free online articles, I have a blog on psychology today called The Psychology of Relationships. Um, and you, you can learn a lot about relationships there. Everything's based in relationship science, uh, which I think is really important because um, people, you know, when they have better data, they make better decisions. Beautiful. Well, Gary, thank you so much. And uh, thank you again for being on the show. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Are you ready to take your personal, relational, or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one personal support, co-developed strategies, and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion, and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details. If you enjoyed this show, we would be so grateful if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us out immensely. Thank you so much.